Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on Colin. This is episode 41, Jink Uger Slams Defund the Police. Recently, Jink Uger has come out against defunding the police. Is there a class divide around defunding the police? So feel free to call in, guys. We'd love to hear from all of you. There is something that uh, I did notice a while back, and CJ and I discussed this on RBN. A while back, uh, TYT was actually in favor of defunding the police. I don't know if everyone remembers that, uh, but that was also when it was more popular to do so. That's something that I've noticed. And they had a video that was titled Defund the Police. They were in support of it. After defunding the police became unpopular, they went back and they changed the title of that video. And ever since then, they have been against defunding the police. So I want to hear from you guys, but do you feel there may be a class divide around defunding the police? Because like I was saying before, it seems like the police mainly operate to protect uh, wealth and capital. Police only solve 0.02% of crime. So what exactly are the police there for? And I'm going to go ahead and bring in Delthea. You are the first caller. Just have to hit unmute. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. How you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I get passionate about this topic. I really do. I know I know you do. I know you do. I get into arguments about it as well. Um, I, if Jake Uger were serious about what he's saying, he wouldn't just say that, well, you shouldn't say defund the police. He would then say, here's what you should say. But that's not what he wants to do because he doesn't want anything to change. I have friends and I've done this myself and I will say things like, we need to find a better way to do public safety. Since I know that defund the police seems to ring people's bells the wrong way. But you'll notice Jank is not saying that because he's not serious about that. Okay? We need to defund, because no matter what you do about public safety, defunding the police is going to be a part of that because you're going to start doing things a different way. You're not going to use the police in every single situation now. We're going to do something different. Therefore, the police don't get the same amount of money. You see what I'm saying? So, so we want to, if we want to, we can argue about semantics. But the fact that he won't even put anything in the semantic game tells me he's full of bullshit. Okay, so he's a person with something that he thinks that the police protect. I have a skin color that tells me the police will not protect me. And that's regardless of how much money I ever get. So Jank and I are not going to see things in the same way. No, Delthea, that's a good point. In fact, there's even been uh, black celebrities that have been, you know, pulled over by the police. Stephen A. from ESPN, he talked about his experience with the police. Um, There was an actor, 
uh, Washington. He he played on Grey's Anatomy. He talked about. Um, yes, he talked about it as well. Um, he actually said the reason why he drives a cheap car is because he doesn't want to get pulled by the police. Like mm -hmm. it's not just uh, poor black people, like even celebrities. And then the police will pull them and then they realize who they are and then they'll apologize and let them keep going. Mm -hmm. But even a mentioned that when he was pulled one time, he said the police officer had already had his hand on his gun and wouldn't tell him mm -hmm. why he was pulled. And it was the other officer who explained to him that's Stephen A from e from ESPN. Then he let him mm -hmm. go. Yep. I mean, I I mean, I don't, I don't never forget the first time I was pulled for driving while black, and and the cop came up on my came up on my side of the car. He was looked like he was about 12. And he looked at, I don't know what he thought he saw in that car. But when he looked in and saw it was a woman driving, and I had my then 70-year-old mother next to me and my two-year-old nephew in the back. He was like, oh, well, I thought um I thought I thought your registration was out. Mm -hmm. But this is why I've said before, this is why I've said before, I don't think police officers should do traffic stops. I agree. I agree. And it's not worth it because too many, uh, just recently here in this state, a traffic stop turned into a foot chase and a 30 mile romp through the countryside. For what? Because in the end, the best they could do was they found a little marijuana in the car. Yep. But it but it was kids involved, and they didn't know any better but to run. That's right. Because they're kids. You know, that and that could have ended much worse than it did. But that's that's just the way it is. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go, but I do have to ask you one question. This is from earlier tonight. How is it you have not seen the original Planet of the Apes? <laughs> My mom said Ow. the same thing. She was like, you never saw the original? And I said, no, I only saw the one with Mark Wahlberg. She was like, oh God. <laughs> Okay, you get fired. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you from me and your mama. I'm going to send you a list of touchstone movies you have to watch. And I'm going to give you till Christmas, not Christmas, but next Christmas. That's a year and a quarter <laughs> to watch the list. And then we're going to go, we're going to go on calling again. And I'm, going to, and I'm going to test you on these, on these movies. Okay. I say right. go for it. I say go for it. All I right. love movies. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to let you go now. Y'all have a good evening. Good night. Awesome. Thanks so much, Delthea. Um, yeah, I know. I need to see the original Planet of the Apes. We're going to bring in the next caller, which is Ashura. You're on the mic. Just have to unmute. Just have to hit the unmute button, Ashura. Ashura might be having... Oh, there she goes. There he goes. Hello. Hi, Sabby. Hey, how are you? 
I'm good. Uh, I was kind of a bit surprised. Uh, you're, you're doing a stream tonight. Like, did you miss your uh, your usual stream for, on Thursday? On RBN? No, no. Now you do a call-in stream. Yeah, this is the call-in stream. Yeah, but normally on Thursday because you do it like a little bit early. So I was like, mm. wait, today's not Friday. I switched the time. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I would say I'm gonna ask you the thing about the Jay Google thing, but I gotta back up uh, the Thea here. You haven't seen Planet of the Apes, <laughs> the original. No. I mean, I remember. I remember at most when I was ten years old, I saw all of them. Who's in it? All the original movies of Planet of the Apes. Anything related to it, I saw all of them. Is there an actor in it that I should know about? I don't remember. It's been a long time. I do know that it, it's kind of. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to basically uh, tell you what happens in the subsequent sequels, but it, it gets a bit weird if you go watch the original. I'll have to check it out, you guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. About the uh, Jimmy Dore thing, I remember so many people like to call Jimmy Dore is a right winger <laughs> because Jimmy Dore somehow because it, they say his sub count is more right wing than than is like. Lefties, I'm like, do you know what the fuck they're talking about? Like, I I basically listen to Jimmy all the time, and I'm in the live stream, and they don't like when Jimmy Jimmy talks about cops, and those are the videos that sometimes get the less views because normally he cracks over 100 100k, and when he talks about cops, they get the lowest amount, and the only time basically his cop videos got more more uh track with the his audience is when uh. The U- Uvalde thing was going on. That was like no excuse for them. They couldn't basically say, oh man, the cops were basically doing this, what the cop was doing that, making excuse for them. So basically, the cops were at fault. So they had no choice but to blame the cops. And uh, when he did the video, he was like, well, that video's not doing so well. So he didn't care. And Jimmy basically never changed. So they keep saying that Jimmy's one of them or to join their side. But Jimmy knows that he's not going to join there because. He's not going to change because Jimmy's going to call the cops out and they don't want that. That's that's interesting, Ashura. Um, I I mean, I haven't I, I don't pay attention a lot of times um, to numbers, but um, in reference to the, the cop videos, I mean, even for us at RBN, like when we do those the cop stuff, like Nick will tell you this, those videos get less views, too. But I think that. For people like Jink who are calling former TYT uh, employees uh, right wing now or whatever, I think Jink needs to understand that not all conservatives only watch conservative media. There are conservatives that watch left wing media, too. There are conservatives that watch TYT. There's conservatives that watch Minority Report. Like they don't they I think they think that. Maybe they're just ignorant to this this idea, but I think they think that conservatives are sitting at home only listening to Tucker Carlson and only watching Fox News, and that's actually not true. Yeah, because uh, I, I think the liberals they live in their own uh, their own bubble. They assume that basically right wingers won't listen to other shit, which is like ridiculous. And uh, uh, you have like. Uh, uh, Jing, you, I think it was the Vanguard. They were basically uh, calling them out on their stream today. I didn't see it. I saw the thumbnail. 
and they were calling both of them out, uh, Jan Kuger and Anna Kasparian. I'm like, how much how much proof do you need that TYT has changed? I'm surprised that yes. Jan Kuger openly, openly uh, basically telling people who is who the defund the police people are. Oh, you're not leftists. You're not true leftists. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm like, keep going, brother. Keep exposing yourself. Because I'm pretty sure Katzenberg must have doubled his uh, his uh, yearly uh, his yearly cash donation. Because either right. either, either it's something going on. I'm pretty sure Katzenberg must have doubled it. Because why are you coming out? Why are you not saying on the down low? Why are you openly saying that you're not yep. the police? Because Jink Uger is one of those people that believes that defund the police hurt the Democratic Party. And that's something that I've, I've been hearing that mainly on liberal mainstream media like CNN and MSNBC. And I think he's kind of jumped on board that bandwagon because, hey, if you're still trying to promote progressives to the Democratic Party, now you got something else that you can point fingers at and say, well, these progressives aren't winning because the Democratic Party decided to go along with defunding the police. And I actually didn't see the Democratic Party as a party go along with that. In fact, they spoke out against that. Like, yeah, they came out in support of George Floyd. But when it came to defunding the police, Nancy Pelosi told people herself on CNN that the Democratic Party is not heading in that direction. uh, Jim Clyburn came out and spoke out against defunding the police. All of them have, except for Cori Bush. Cori Bush was the only one that was like, well, no, this affects my community directly. So I think that is something that he can use as an excuse now, just like mainstream media to say, well, Democrats were losing those seats because they decided to go along with defunding the police. And then you can continue to, I guess, hold your audience hand and tell them that, yeah, we still need to do this strategy of putting progressive through the Democratic Party. If you can point to something else as the reason why they're not winning, then it's a win-win for you if that's the strategy that you still want to do. And that's the thing. It's like, no, nah, these people are losing because that Bernie Sanders movement lost momentum. It lost steam. The second time that Bernie lost and he told everybody to vote for Joe Biden, it lost steam after they decided not to force the vote for Medicare for all. It lost steam when you have progressives in Congress sitting up there choosing to support and back corporate candidates. That's why people have started to turn away from it. And it had nothing to do with defunding the police. So I think this idea that's been put out there that, oh, it's the left that actually started defund the police, that's bullshit. Anybody who's been following Black Lives Matter from the very beginning knows that that came from that movement. And that movement was not left per se. Like I said, the majority of African-American voters are neoliberal. The majority of African-American voters are not progressive. Um, my, my next question, um, I, I saw you on rising today. No, not last. I mean, like yesterday. And, uh, I was going to say the one thing I, I, you could say that I didn't like what you said is when, um, you kind of, when you have to answer that AOC's BS question about her being with a white dude is going to probably make sure that she doesn't get to the presidency. Cause some people will like that. And I was like, you don't need to use your, well, your marriage is your marriage to compare it to the AOC thing, you could have just used uh, Kamala Harris because that, that's a more popular one. Because I think like uh, AOC is just uh, she's a full of shit. 
Well, I don't know why I would use Kamala Harris. I don't know her. I do know myself. And yeah. I can talk about my own experience, which is something yeah, but, that I usually yeah, but, do. I usually input my own experience. Okay, because it's, it's, it seems to me, because since we're, you were talking about politics, so I would think it would be much better if you added just Kamala Harris, because they're both, they both want to be that woman president. So that's why I thought it that way. Because she's saying, I don't know if I want to be president one day. We both know she does. Kamala wants to be president. So, and they're both... They're both into that interracial relationship thing, so I thought it was better if you just used that. So it's a just minor thing. Mm. Uh, yeah. So um, I'm gonna basically hang up. So I'm just gonna let other people speak. Alrighty. Thanks so much, Ashura. Okay. Okay. Bringing in the next caller, and that is Casey. You just have to hit unmute. Might have to um, invite uh, Casey to speak because sometimes, oh, there you are. Okay. You got it? Uh Uh-oh. I don't know what happened there. Well, you, you just unmuted, but I think you muted yourself again. Oh, no. Oh, no. Can you hear me now? I hear you now. Why is it... Casey, this app is weird. Let me invite you to speak and make you a speaker. That way. It won't allow me. <laughs> okay, you're you're unmuted now. Hello? Oh, no, Casey. Yeah, they're messing with me. Okay, you're you're unmuted. And then it clicks this off. App. Ah. This app is, is buggy sometimes. Okay, can you hear me, Seb? Yeah, I can hear you. Sebby, they will not allow this. <laughs> Here I am. Are you okay. There? Are you there? I'm here. Okay. Can you still hear me? I can hear you. Okay, great. So, um, what's up, my lady? Um, this is an honor to, I just want to say that, um, I, as millions, was lost after Sanders, and then, um, I had to leave Facebook because it was, um, insane to say the least and very, uh, insane. So anyways, I found RBN. I want to thank you so much to keeping the truth at the forefront. Um, and what I, do you feel that this is even politics anymore? I feel like it's a chess game. I mean, I I don't see politics at all anymore. I don't even feel like we have that luxury to I what? Like seriously. Um this is now action. The point of action. And 
you're every one of us um, has a choice to make right now. You don't get to choose this shield of ignorance is uh, my frustration. A lot of childhood questions that I had that uh, now I, the genie out of the bottle um, was whitewashed uh, lies. And so that's why I was constantly confused by what I was being taught because the timeline never seemed to match up. Um, so we have hindsight, correct? That's right. I think, you know, myself, like most people, you know, I, I grew up thinking that you do well in school, you can go it's to college, go to college. That. It's beyond that, you, right, Seb? Like, uh, lost, you know, I was raised Catholic. Goodbye. That was, uh, I'm going to be 46, so that was freaking how long ago with that Boston report and I served that freaking altar and then dug deeper into that stupid shit and found out what the year 1400 and some shit they went around just murdering and then just the whole revelation of why the hell did I ever think Christ was white like this is insanity no? Because that's what we were taught. Yeah, but this is insanity. Like, how blind is blind? I just think, I, I think like a lot of times. we're up against, you know, like, that question when we were young with World War II, like, how could they not smell it, you know? Right. Well, I think um, that, like, um, one thing oh, I want to yeah. say is that if you look at a country like North Korea, like Americans don't have a problem saying that it's absolutely wrong that people in North Korea can't receive the media they want to receive, right? So the media is controlled, everything's controlled. But what they don't understand is that the media is controlled here in the United States, too. Oh, this is big time Harvard think tank shit, man. Mm -hmm. uh, this is like serious fucking crap at this point, um, which has been uh, orchestrated. And so this is frustrating to say the least that uh, we're getting tied up in like, uh, this is what I'm finding frustrating, like this idea of communism that anyone knows the fucking definition of it and especially since we were fucking lied from the get-go. Um, can we just not start calling it community, for Christ's sakes? Or am I dumb in that thinking? Well, it would definitely be more uh, palatable for people if we called it community. It really would be. Like, more people would like take a liking to fucking, it. I'm going fucking nuts with this shit. Like... Seriously, uh, like I asked earlier, where the hell have people been living for the past 32 years? Um, like, I couldn't watch Rodney King. And then I couldn't watch fucking, uh, God help me, Libya. 
Gaddafi. Like that blue, like what the hell did I just watch? And it was force watch, right? Like um, I came walking in, the TV was on and what the hell am I watching? Who was that? Gaddafi, what? And then God forbid, thank God, um, somehow I was, uh, I did not have to see George Floyd. But I'm at a loss with uh, where the hell people have been. You know what? Do you feel me? Yeah, and I think here's the thing. Like, I know some of these videos are really hard for people to watch, right? I totally get it. And I get what I want people to understand. Like the AT&T to the fucking, uh, we're watching TV, cable, we're watching uh, streaming, we're watching, it's in our hands. I get that, and it's not, I get all that. Well, I think the thing is, is that what people have to understand for people who grow up in those, they see this type of police violence every week. I know. And like, this is what, like all these childhood questions I had are now being answered in what the youth says real time. Um, is like whoever the fuck said it, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, fuck yeah, you're right. Because I was fucking brainwashed to believe I go into a community, my life's in fucking danger because of my fucking white skin and fact be fucking known that no white person has been fucking killed in an area of people of color. Like, this is the kind of brainwashing fucking fear fucking crap and so that you have nothing to fear, but fear itself now is defined. Like, holy shit, these motherfuckers. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, it's one of those things, too, I would say to people is that, you know, I had friends that have, you know, grew up in the suburbs the whole life. And I know people that grew up in the inner city. And one of the things I can tell you is, like, if you talk to a lot of the people that grew up in the suburbs, a lot of times they actually, before before police violence was filmed, a lot of times they actually had a positive review of, of law enforcement because well, yeah, their experience we with law enforcement has actually been good because, again, like I said, police protect wealth, they protect capital. So they don't have those experiences with law enforcement that someone growing up in a black neighborhood in the inner city may. So when they hear about they see that video of George Floyd. For some people, that was the first time they had ever seen any type of police violence like that. But if you go Just back to Rodney King, you know, people... how that would be yeah. the first time they have seen that shit. When you go back to fucking Emmett... I'm sorry to cuss. But when you go back to Emmett Till, like, what are you talking about this first time? You, or you go beyond that. And this is my frustration... <clears throat> of this, I truly believe it's now a choice. You're using this shield, this ignorance as a shield. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah. And that's what I'm finding completely uh, infuriating at this point in 2022, as the great woman, I wish I knew her name, from Chicago said, ain't nobody got time for this shit. Um, so I'm at a complete loss, Sabs. Uh, like, well, I think that one of the things, like sometimes we may assume is that everyone knows about these, these incidents, these issues, for example, not everyone knows who Emmett Till was. Not everyone knows who Fred Hans. In fact, if you go, if you, if you go back, no, it's, it's not. They told us. I was raised, I was taught in public education that the Black Panthers were a freaking terrorist group. And I'm this freaking, oh, I love Abraham Lincoln bullshit. Um, thinking I'm walking around as ignorant as fuck can be. Do you see what I'm saying? But that's because of the education system. And it's also because of mainstream media, because the problem is, is that I was taught the same thing in school about the black Panthers. difference was I had black, black grandparents who knew about black Panthers and they were able to educate me and tell me the real story. My education system did not teach me about Fred Hampton. My grandparents did. So I think if you don't have those those forces in your life to come in and fill in the gaps where the education system is leaving it out or mainstream media is leaving it out, you can go through your whole life not knowing these things. I've met people who have never heard about Emmett Till. I've so met people who have never heard saying, about Fred Hampton. Is this not like some kind of, I don't know what you would call it. What would you call it? It was a public education system that we were part of that was completely lies. You were taught treacherous. I mean, it's a problem down to my religion. Like this is some massive bullshit. It's a problem, but we are taught the curriculum that is approved by the school board. That's what we are taught. So this is why it's important to abolish all this shit. Well, I think this is why it's important that you also have to educate yourself. This is why you can't just go by what they teach you at school. You also have to you have to do research on but the research that you're researching in school. But it's a system though. That's my point. Like how do you like to the education for Christ's sakes? Um they were housing the one pet, or, oh my God, you know who I'm talking about. Harvard had an office for the biggest kind of filth. So, and Harvard has roots. So the system of education, higher, whatever you want to call, um, and to question it, it'd be like, like, how are you going to question someone that's teaching lies? Well, there had been times when I was in school where people did question things about history. That has happened before when I've been in the classroom. But the thing is, is this, like, right, but that's why you have to educate yourself. You cannot rely on the education system in the United States to teach you everything that you need to know about history no i go outside of that i do but i'm saying for um 
you know, everyday people. What the hell? People don't know. A lot of people are sheltered. You'd be surprised. A lot of people are sheltered and a lot of people don't get out of their communities. So you, you only know what you know, what you're taught. If you're not teaching yourself, you only know what other people are teaching you. We are screwed. Is that uh, what's going on? (laughs) I mean, um, the American people really have to wake up. We are screwed, man. Uh, Oh, my God. So I want to thank you so much for taking my call um, and for everything that you're doing, Savvy, and RBN. Like, I thought it was after what Sanders did, um, straight to the fourth right. So, (laughs) and I've been following for a very long and uh, the whole all of this country since very young. Uh, so this, yeah, like even in 95, um, the March and it's just, I don't know. I hope every, I hope there's a big turnout on October 8th in Washington, DC. Yes, yes. Uh, actually, Misty is coming so. on tomorrow night to promote that. Misty will be on tomorrow night to promote the event so, on October 8th. Yeah, yeah, so I hope that's a huge turnout. Like, I I just don't know what else, you know. Like, you, you know, your show earlier was like, they shut up the railroad, so, for a little bit. We'll see. see. Tomorrow's Friday. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. So uh, stay safe and smart. And thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for calling in, Casey. I'm going to go to the next caller, which is Scotty. You are on the mic. Good evening, Savvy. Good evening. How are you? All right. Uh... Can you hear me? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, is that crickets in the, uh, the background for you? Because I'm hearing crickets. Um, no. I think that was in the back. That was in the background of for Casey, but I don't hear crickets now. Yeah, I was wondering. I was like, I was like, I'm, like I'm hearing literal crickets. Hello. I can- Hello? Yeah, I think you were muted for a second. Uh, can you hear me now? Can you, we're all clear? Yeah, I mute myself when people are talking. Okay, okay. I just didn't know if that was the app. Um, as far as uh, Jink Uger is concerned with defund the police, this isn't nothing new for him. He Two years ago, he was defending it because... Well, it was a popular thing to do, and he wanted to stay ahead of the curve, or at least, like, well, within, like, liberal politics. And at the time, like, people was more able to defend the slogan, defund the police. But it's like you said, um, the people on the ground allowed, and this happens with every protest, 
Except for Occupy Wall Street. I think Occupy Wall Street, uh, one thing they did right is they would not allow the Democratic Party to actually, like, really come in and co-opt it, which is part of the reason why they, like, the, the campments were wiped out, right? So they couldn't, like... They couldn't outright co-opt the action of Occupy Wall Street, so they just, they destroyed it. And that's why I say that Occupy was a lot more effective than Black Lives Matter, because you can obviously see that um, they were seen more as a threat, because, like, they, like, they sustained that protest for three straight months. And they are going into the winter, and so, um... And also, uh, you know, what the uh, previous one of the earlier callers were saying, I remember watching when Jimmy was with TYT, and Jimmy was always the most virulently anti-cop on that panel, to the point where he would make the others on that panel feel really uncomfortable. Like, he, uh, Jimmy would say things like, there's no good reason for you to be a cop unless if you were bullied or bull uh, or the bully. Um, he was always stressed that, yeah, my dad was a cop, my brother's a cop, some of my best friends are cop, and like, yeah, like, but we still need cops. But there's he would he would go off on cops like all the time on TYT, especially. Uh, when the that's right, like, that's true. Happened and yeah, and you would see it, and like even even when people were saying like he like shifted to the right, like he still does those type of videos, right? He still like it's funny, like they bring up the Kyle Rittenhouse video, but he's like been the most anti-cop out of all of them, and that's like. <laughs> And that's, like, uh, unusual for a lot of the white leftists uh, because, like, a lot of the white leftists don't go as far as he does in his uh, critiques on the police state. Um, and so, so I agree with you. Jenk is really just trying to find another way to latch on to whatever relevancy he can as a gatekeeper on the left. And also, uh, like, he has to justify his existence in this media sphere because it's like, okay, you got popular during, like, because he came of age of Air America. You remember Air America? Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah, Air America. Like, You're taking it back. <laughs> yeah, there, there was actually a documentary on HBO called Left of the Dial. And he, it was uh, them, Mark Marin back in the day. Like if you remember, like they had uh, Mark Marin had his show. I think Sam Cedar was a part of that. Uh, Randy Rhodes, Mike Malloy, uh, Janine Garofalo. Like basically, Air America was the response to right wing talk radio and. The thing about this was, and I think Max Blumenthal said this on the Gray Zone, like in, like an earlier episode of whatever they were covering. He said that they weren't going at the Democrats for not being progressive enough. They were going at the Democrats 
for not being anti-Republican enough. Like, they will always critique the Democrats as being weak against the Republicans, uh, being, like, feckless uh, uh, passing policy, but they weren't, like, necessarily anti-war, damn sure not anti-imperialist, um, they weren't very, they were never really that strong on the police state. I mean, sure, like, issues like, like, Sean Bell came up, and then, like, um, but not too big on their takes on the police state. I mean, it's not until, like, maybe till Trayvon, like, the Trayvon Martin tragedy happens with uh, George Zimmerman, but even then, like, they didn't get too, like, too big with it until, like, the 2010s where, like, you know, the cell phone videos came up, and that's what he's, like, that's the type of, like, media sphere he came. And so TYT becomes this big thing on the internet. They, like, pioneer, like, the left media on the internet, and he's still, like, trying to grasp that. And then, you know, the Bernie, uh, the Bernie's two campaigns happened. Well, no, scratch that. Uh, Obama his campaigns happened. The 2008 election happened, and that's when, like, I think, like, the 2008 elections, if, like, you look at it from, like, a media standpoint, it's probably, like, had, like, the biggest coverage that, in 2016, as any um, presidential election ever, just, like, the sheer media coverage and, um, did you know that Obama actually got an award from Advertising Age uh, in 2008 for Marketer of the Year, the campaign? Did you know that? No, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, Chris Hedges mentions that from time to time. And they gained popularity from that. And then mm-hmm. the, Bernie camp, the Bernie campaign happens. And they get this and that this is where they hit their peak. They get this huge windfall from it. Like it's funny because Bernie Sanders didn't give the, grant them an interview until March of the uh, presidential election, where it was a lot of in doubt of him actually making it to the convention, even though like he still has some states to go, like. You interview him, like, he gives you an interview in March. Um, one, that just goes to show how out of touch he was, uh, how Sanders was out of touch with the internet. And two, like, he really had no plans on winning. So, but then the, the 2016 primary happens in, we find out WikiLeaks uh, with the DNC emails, right? And I remember this video on TYT Politics uh, at the time when George Sheridan was still working there. And I have to, like, find it, but I remember he's speaking to these dejected delegates, uh, you know, because they were getting treated like shit at that convention, they were just getting straight up abused. And he, like, and he's basically kind of 
trying to push, tell them, like, you know, um, just focus on getting money out of politics. This, and I'm like, do you know what the fuck these people are going through this week? Like, why are you telling them that? Right? But it, like, he's shifting in that, uh, that primary to try to tell people to vote for Hillary Clinton. Like, like your subscribers just got cheated openly. Yep. And they're seeing it. And you're still telling them to vote for the fucking Democrat. Yep. Like, you're telling these people to who've got spit in the face, like, figuratively and maybe literally at the convention, because if you hear some of these stories of what happened to these people, you're like, and I even told my mom, like, during that time, like, they're going to lose this uh, this election. Like, you don't understand how they treated these people. Like, the Nevada caucus, yep. outright stealing of that. Um, Bernie's people in Brooklyn, like, the uh, the voters getting taken out uh, um, on the rolls in Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. all this is going on. So, right, fast forward four years later. He's supporting Bernie, but he's kind of hedging his bets with Warren, right? Yep. They even had, they even had, um, what was her name? Ashley Marie Preston, right? It's a black trans act activist who, like, she's on from time periods of time to time. Turns out this woman is actually an advisor on Warren's campaign, and she's very critical of the. Uh, the people supporting Sanders, and they're trying to make it seem like Warren was equally progressive as Bernie, and like they're confusing their audience, thinking that well, we can actually get the like if we can get at least one of them that will work. Turns out it didn't happen. Like, even after they, even after this woman straight up betrayed them. On stage, they still tried to get uh, people to think that she was just as progressive as everything, right? But listen, Scotty, you know what? TYT split the progressive vote in 2020 for the 2020 election because Jink Uger supported Bernie Sanders and Emma Vigilant supported Elizabeth Warren. They split the vote, the progressive vote. On their own network, the Elizabeth Warren thing should have never happened. <laughs> that should have yeah. never. That didn't make any damn sense. Yeah, the majority of the progressives wanted Bernie Sanders. Why were you promoting Elizabeth Warren? One because uh, they supported Elizabeth Warren first in 2016 before Bernie, because like you know, remember Draft Warren, she was the original choice of the PMC liberals, but there's so much in their bubble, they didn't realize how unlikable she is outside their circles. And so Bernie comes in and turns out he actually has appeal, uh, across like ideological appeal. Uh, he actually can speak to those white working class voters, which is funny because that's what the uh, Clinton campaign was using against him. Like, they were actually using it against him. Like, again, I don't really fuck with Bernie. Like, I'm just 
being objective, uh, at least from what I saw. But they, I guess they figured, if we can't get Bernie, we can at least get one. And neither happened, and they got egg on their face. And what's funny about that is they went out people for supporting Tulsi Gabbard more so than they did. And, and they thought that Tulsi Gabbard was more of a problem for Bernie than Warren was. And it was clearly obvious. Which didn't Warren, make any sense. Didn't make any it, sense because Tulsi Gabbard didn't have that level of support, and Elizabeth Warren did. Yeah. That's and, crazy. And, and they were part of the reason why. Because you're sitting yep. there telling your audience that, well, she's also progressive. You know, she's so well, like, smart, and she's got, you know, remember, I got a plan for that. Like, the slogan. And you find out, like, she doesn't have any appeal outside that upper-middle-class white women who, you know, think they care about social justice, but, you know, really, <laughs> they don't, they're, they're just as out of touch. And then, like, she, you know, go ahead. She had that coastal elite support. They liked Elizabeth Warren, one, because she was a woman. So they're like, this is our chance to get a woman in. And then, two... Again, she's coming from Harvard. She represents that upper professional class uh, that a lot of them came from. That Emma Vigilant and Jink and Anna Casper, that a lot of them came from. She represents that class. So they're like, well, let's go with her. And then they try to use identity politics. We should have a woman. And this is our chance. This is our opportunity. When they knew damn well that Bernie Sanders was the better candidate. So, yeah, I blame them for splitting the vote. And I, I blame Elizabeth Warren's crazy ass for staying in on Super Tuesday when she knew damn well at that point there was no chance of her winning. She knew the top people was Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. So why the hell would you stay in and take those votes away from Bernie Sanders? Uh, I guess she thought that she was going to gain something out of it, whether or not it was support from the Democratic Party or the VP choice. Because if you remember, there was reports that Biden actually was thinking about picking her as a VP. And then all of a sudden, uh, who was it? Um, uh, damn, I'm the senator from Minnesota, uh, Amy Klobuchar. She comes on TV and basically sa- she says uh, he needs to put somebody, uh, a, a woman of color on the ticket. It's basically her saying, don't pick Warren. And that's ba- I guess that was basically... The donors telling Biden, if you're thinking about picking Warren, we'll pull our support or something like that. But yeah, they they were critical in that, and then, but they'll never say that. Um, but then, you know, Bernie folds, and what happens? They they lose their support from that, and they tell people to go vote vote for Biden, and. <laughs> They stress that they're gonna, they're gonna hold him accountable or push him to the left. That doesn't happen, and then like force the vote happens, and then all hell breaks breaks loose. Like I think yeah. Jimmy, when he came up with that strategy, I don't think he thought that he basically put the progressive, like PMC, progressive media sphere in checkmate because it's like 
do you really support Medicare for all or do you not? And if you if you do, you will be like fine with like going like holding these progressive politicians accountable, right? That like try to get their audience to support you. But then you would have to come to the conclusion that a like I pro- we prop these people up and we're responsible for that, but we also like our success is predicated on having access to these people, right? We have to yep. be seen that like the PMC loves to be seen as being credible or being serious, right? And they're always talking about being strategic, right? They're always, like, want to be seen as the adults in the room. Like, it's particularly in this space, in the uh, progressive media space. So that's why when they see people like Dor or you guys or Franco, like, like the, uh, innocent, the, uh, MCSC, uh, network, like, INN, like, when they see this less media sphere growing, like, and then being critical of the Democratic Party, it bothers them because it's fucking with, like, their grips. And so he, like, he uses, like, the whole strategy of, well, defund the police is going to hurt the Democrats. That's not our fucking job to actually care about that shit. Right? He thinks it's, he thinks it's, like, other podcasters' job to tell their subscribers to act to vote for the Democrat, or for activists to vote for the Democrat, you know, you know who this reminds me of, Joe Biden in that meeting with the civil rights leaders, like he's sitting there telling them, remember how he said like we need to really tamp down on the uh, defund the police rhetoric because that hurt us in some elections. Do you remember that meeting? Like, I remember that, and I said back then that we should have pushed, like, by we, I mean, like, the black community should have pushed back on Joe Biden when that call went out. We should have pushed well, back on that. Yeah, well, and you say that um, blacks are, uh, voters are neoliberal. I remember when Glenn Ford would make the case that black voters are the most progressive, and I said, no, that's not necessarily true. I think that we are neoliberal because we figure we don't really have a choice in the matter, so we take what we can get. And so when they see somebody like Sanders, like particularly the older black voters, when they see somebody like Sanders, they're looking at somebody and thinking, well, white folks don't want to, aren't going to vote for him, so... We're, we're just going to look for somebody who we believe that can beat Trump. They had the same uh, uh, the same thought process in 2008 in, with Obama, and it took him winning Iowa, a primarily white state, for them to actually vote for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do want to make sure I get to some of the other callers. Okay, um, yeah. But I was going to say that. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no worries. Thanks so much for that, um, Scotty. Yeah, right. um, I was telling people that um, 
it's really interesting to me how they pick these states to have these early primary races in Iowa of all places, New Hampshire. You notice you don't see them pick any states that have a large amount of African-Americans as one of those early, early states like that. So it's just it's really interesting to me. It's bizarre. I'm going to go ahead and bring in uh, Karthik. You are on the mic. Just have to unmute. Hey, Savvy. Always great to talk to you. Um, hey, what's so going on? I, you know, I got a lot to say, but I'll try to keep it as quick as possible. Um, so I was actually a TYT member for about 10 years from 2010 to uh, until about force the vote. It's around the time I gave around two thousand dollars, so I, I I know definitely a lot of dirt on TYT and all the shit they've said. So people like I I, I know Scotty said some of this, but people don't realize this. But TYT has historically been pro cop, and I'm talking about like specifically like the founders, like Jenk Uger and uh, Michael Shore and Ben Mankiewicz for people that know those names. Um, and actually, like I, I, like Jenk uh, and like the, some of the founders and Jimmy Dore would have like many debates about cops. And it was kind of like a three-on-one debate, honestly. It definitely wasn't a fair fight. Where And it would be like where Jimmy was actually calling the cops terrorists, not just like the system. Obviously, he would say system, but he would also like like actually call them terrorists, I remember. And then uh, and then one of the other founders, Ben, would call Jimmy dangerous. And obviously, they, they, they would go to shame him for like not voting Hillary. But so historically, they've always been pro-cops. And like they have, like until like Black Lives Matter became really popular, like now they say it's a system and, you know, X, Y, Z, obviously. Um, but yeah, they've always been uh, called cops and like people don't, I mean, pro cop, but people don't know this, but Jenks number one goal isn't even to like get money out of politics. It's actually to be like the, the uh, uh, biggest news network. So he'll always um, do whatever he thinks is going to uh, make him uh, uh, bigger and better. That's interesting. That's interesting. But you know, like they haven't really been growing. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I know this is just like their uh uh latest pivot, their latest move because they tried going you know with uh, uh defund the police and going along with the activist community like for the last year and a half or two years, um. But now it's just not working. And, and they've sorry, and they've and they've always been uh, going uh, along with the PM, towing the PMC line, because he loves it. Like, because like he loved it when Obama had like you know theoretically smart people. Like he used to talk always about like even when he criticized Obama, he was saying about like how he loved Obama's cabinet because they were all smart. You know, like they all went to Harvard or Princeton or whatever, and and he hated Trump's cabinet because like they didn't go to Harvard or whatever. Uh, even though obviously some of them did. Um, but yeah, and, and I, I forgot this, I think Scotty said like from the Air America line, I mean, Air America people, and they were, uh, uh, pro, like pro Democrat and anti-Republican, not because like they agreed with policies necessarily, um, but because they didn't think the Republicans were tough enough. I mean, the Democrats weren't tough enough on the Republicans. And so, and so like he gives the Democrats a pass anytime that they're super tough, like just in terms of words, not in actions. Because I remember, like, during the impeachment trial, like, the first over Ukraine, and um, uh, the uh, 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 January 6th hearing, like, he loved the Democrats. He thought, like, he was shocked at how theoretically tough, just like, in terms of words, they are. So he'll always, eventually, when it matters, they'll always tow the PMC line. You know? 
I, I can't believe I used to watch TYT now that I look back at it. Yeah, I'm like, damn, too. I really thought they were like, it's I thought they were hardcore back in the day. But yeah, yeah, and I, 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 I don't know if you know this, but Michael Shura, like one of the er, early guys there, he actually ran for Congress um, this time around. And he ran, like, he actually ran in Culver City, which is, like, in Los Angeles, where the actual TYT studio is. And he ran on a pro-cop, uh, pro-Israel, uh, like, like that, that, that was one of his, like, campaign, slo- like, points, talking points or slogans. Like, he said, oh, well, obviously I'm against police brutality, but violence against cops is never acceptable. And I, I, I'll always support law enforcement or whatever. So, so they know who they are. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. You, if yeah, I'm not kidding. You can verify this. You can just go to michaelshoreforcongress.com or whatever, and and Google will tell you what he said. I'll have and to check that out. About, and speaking about abolition, so people are always asking. Like, I know people have asked me recently. Hey, Jenk, you should have a police abolitionist. And obviously, I I want him to do that. But I already know how it's going to happen. It'll probably be something like how how the Brianna uh, uh, Joy Gray debate happen will he just bring up jimmy Dore or somebody and he'll pretty much just be yelling at the police abolitionist and jake like sometimes like he actually does have people to the left of him like he had like a communist once and it was just the entire time like jake was just talking down to him but people that know this also but tyt actually has like a daily interview show they've had it on for like five years straight it's called the conversation sometimes they'll even have like two people two interview guests on but most of like the guests recently have just been like standard establishment. Like sometimes he'll have on people from CNN on as guests. Sometimes he'll have like like near Tandon on Mike English. They've actually had interviews to near Tandon, and they've actually had people on from like the Clinton administration and pe- and people from the Lincoln Project. And Jake always talks like how he's like super tough, but like all these establishment interviews are super um, soft. Like he's even had on uh, 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 Randy Weingarten on um, the teachers union, and they're super soft too. And I say that because, like, the one time, like, he did interview a uh, communist on, he was yelling at him. And another time, he actually did interview a police abolitionist, what, police abolitionist. And this was actually in 2016, so you can give credit for that. And the entire time, it was just talking down this, talking down that. But, you know, like, when he interviews establishment people, he's, like, very respectful, very quiet. He actually uh, interviewed uh, uh, Joe Manchin on once. And the entire time, it was just very calm. Very relaxed, just how like NPR would interview somebody. That's really interesting. I don't think they were ever really. I don't think they were ever really far left. Like looking back on it now, I'm just like, wow, I I really cannot believe I actually watched TYT before. But yeah, they've they've definitely changed over the years. Yeah, no, yeah, they really believe that they're an advocacy network, not for like some greater cause. But uh, 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 advocacy network for the Democratic Party because like they always say like like they pretend that I know sometimes Jang says oh we're, I'm proud of TYT because we're not left or right but at the same time they'll be shaming people to vote Democrat when the election comes and they'll be as far left as is possible in terms of voting for the Democratic Party because I know like there's so many criticisms of TYT online and stuff. But one thing that most people don't know is like every like like right after there's a convention like RNC convention or DNC convention, he'll stop criticizing the Democrats immediately. Like uh, I've noticed this in 2008, 2012, 2016, and also 2020 because I was a fan for all those years. And almost like immediately, like after the conventions, 
he would criticize the uh, nominee, whether it's Obama in 2012 or Hillary or Joe Biden. I remember like 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 uh, uh, he he almost never br- brought up the uh, uh, WikiLeaks emails on the main show in 2016. So he knows what he's doing. said well thank you so much for calling yeah, thanks uh, for letting me talk appreciate it all right i'm gonna bring in joe this is all just just very revealing joe you are on the mic you just have to unmute sabby i did unmute and i hope you can hear me i can hear you great oh sabby you know what it is so cool to be able to talk to you because you um you know we got a lot of choices out here but I want to tell you, you're one of my favorites. And I love seeing you expand your um, footprint, uh, your big foot in it. I'm sure you have probably, you know, very nice feet. But you are big foot in it because I'm seeing you in like all these new spaces uh, and big spaces. And you're, you're reaching up and you're, you're really, um, I think they're, look, you know, like rising. And I, I heard you on fault lines. And uh, in Washington, D.C., and that's su- you're such an important voice. And I'm just so glad uh, that, you know, people are looking for authenticity these days. And um, but, you know, the, first of all, I just wanted to start out with that and just give you a gigantic shout out. Number one. Number two is. um you know, I, I think uh, also, you know, speaking strategy, I wanted to get your take on, um, I'm worried about the walkaway effect from electoralism. I come from Wisconsin, and the Barack Obama effect was, was like a nuclear detonation in Wisconsin. And when he lost in dramatic fashion, that place got gerrymandered to the max. And like, you can't, you don't even understand like how bad it is there until you live there. And you're underneath the crazy psychotic politics of Republicanism. And in this modern day fashion, you know, it's, it's just a constant conversation, crazy conversation of CRT, immigration, MS-13, it's all panic, right? But it's all there is. But on the background, they are working us over through like just tax carve-outs, through just wicked, like, you know, most most legislation is tax, uh, written for tax advantages. It's, this is a for-profit thing. What I'm worried about is our wing who is like it it seems like we you know i'm 56 years old so i can tell you about a life wasted of watching democrats get in there and dink around and never bring nothing to the table i heard about all the air america um you know just it's painful for me to even listen back to like randy rhodes and listen to like tom hartman or you know, everything like people like you have really grown way beyond that. But it it's an evolution of the left. But what I'm worried about is is us not acknowledging that no matter if you go third party. Or you acknowledge um, 
the struggle of a progressive, but also the silencing. The 2018 AOC was much stronger than 2022 in terms of asking like progressives, how do you feel about, you know, give a critique. It's, it's not cool. We're, we're not in a good thing, but I'm speaking to the incrementalism of that. And that I don't know, like, I don't like us not being prepared for and not having like a, uh, you know, kind of like a, a recentering, a North star. And, and I, that's what I appreciate Bernie Sanders for. And I mean, I hear a lot of people that have like good, solid critiques on Bernie Sanders. But I think like, let us not forget like what Bernie Sanders has helped us coalesce and circle around. And I'm telling you that as a 56 year old guy who saw Bill Clinton, like come break the new deal, right? I lived through, like I graduated high school in 1984, Ronald Reaganism. I mean, talk about feudalism. And where we're at right now is much better than I ever had it. And I understand shitty politics. I just worry about us not being able to coalesce around a common vision and the aspects of populism and, you know, what Medicare for all means, what elder care means, what child care, what community means, what grow your own food. How about expanding it to like uh, a national sovereign, a sovereign wealth fund? We, we, we have a lot of nutrients and we uh, mining. We have a lot of uh, look at all the transactions that happen on Wall Street. Japan charges 30, 30 bucks per, you know, in, in like a size trade on their Japanese stock exchange. We're not there. We don't even have a coalescing, uh, you know, coalescing of that viewpoint. The conversation isn't there. And I just want people, you know, we, we spend a lot of time indicting, right? Finding out like, oh, man, I heard that progressive uh, say this, that or the other thing. And I get that the critique is evolution, right? But what I worry about is, and I want to get your take on this, Sabby, is is um, when like the Harvey K and Alan Minsky economic. It's from FDR, and it's the twenty first century economic bill of rights. And I think that should be like our contract with America. And if you've ever wanted to, like, you know, if your thing is, you know, like irking a Republican, this will do it. If you're if your thing is like we had 100 million people that didn't vote, this will get them because it speaks to the force of populism. Populism is math. It's strong math. And it's what we all enjoy. But like, man, we get caught up in these like this long arm of justice indictment, like, you know, I can rally behind like, Oh, let's mail more money to Ukraine. You know, we don't get that long exp explanation of, you know, the real toppling of governments and, and, you know, just CIA run stuff. We, we can't get caught up in all that minutia, but the cleanliness of, a Bernie Sanders platform is our way forward. It's it's also a way to kind of recenter the craziness and the mania that we find ourselves in. Because whether it's climate change or, I mean, we are the most indebted right now. That everything is commoditized, right? Your healthcare is commod is 
is commoditized. It, uh, uh, your elder care, like you can't even take care of your parents. We're an aging nation. You're not going to be able to take care of your parents. You know, if, if you don't have real finances, you're not going to be able to bring your 18-year-old son and send him off to school. We never even organize anything. We, we can't even catch valuation for what the universities contribute to the mania of healthcare in this country. You know, what I think, uh, I think left is really disorganized. I think that it's not prepared for incrementalism that is going to be forced upon it. I don't think the third party revelation, it's not ready yet. Uh, but yet we have to do something. And I think that all these systems aren't serving us well. But if we don't coalesce around a contract with progressives for one and the Bernie platform and also the Harvey K. Allen Minsky 21st Century Economic Bill of Rights, that we're doing ourselves disservices because we're going down these cons conspiracy uh, theory holes and and which is fine. Man, we've got to have a grounded basis. And I wanted to get your your take on that, Sabby. Could you elaborate? Okay. So I think that first and foremost, one thing that I do want to uh I I do want to explain to people because I think that people have been taking the the word progressive and automatically connecting that to the Democratic Party. Mm. You can be a progressive candidate and not run through the Democratic Party. In fact, there are progressive third-party candidates. There's progressive independent candidates. There are progressives in the Green Party. And, and they were there before there was an AOC running through the Democratic Party. So I think that's that's the first thing. The second thing is the problem that you have now with the progressives running through the Democratic Party is that the DNC and the Democratic Party, they have become sharper and smarter on finding ways of keeping those candidates out. It's not yeah. 2018 anymore. You know, AOC and them, when they ran in 2018, the Democratic Party didn't think they had a chance to win anyway. Like, that was the thing. So they didn't really put much of their like resources to fight back against them. They weren't pouring in all of this dark money to prevent them from winning. That's why right. someone like AOC and Ayanna Presley and Rashida Tlaib and all of them were able to win. But since they have won, the Democratic Party and the donors, they've become smarter about this and, and they're preventing other progressives from getting in. And I'll give you a recent example. There were a <laughs> lot of uh, progressives that ran this year. In fact, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a panel that Marianne Williamson did with um, uh, Brie, Katie Halper, and Crystal, and Juliana, and they were premiering these candidates. Uh, they were all coming on, telling people about themselves and all that kind of stuff, and it was a fundraiser to raise money for them. Now, there was a lot of pushback uh, from audience members about that panel because people were just... I think a lot of people are just tired of this now. Most of those candidates that have run for this year lost their primaries. Most of them Ooh. didn't make it past the primary. That's why you don't hear about them now. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen last time. That didn't happen in 2018. It was different because, number one, you didn't have as many progressives running. 
This time around, you have way more, way more running. And a lot of them were running in California. Mm -hmm. But most of them lost. And the reason why they lost is because of the progressives that came in before them and the disappointment that people have had with AOC and Ilhan Omar and all the rest of them. The disappointments that people have had with them not forcing the vote for Medicare for all, going along with establishment talking points, making excuses for Joe Biden. People saw this on interviews on mainstream TV. So the problem yeah. is, is this. You have a lot of people who canvass for those those uh, candidates. I know a lot of people here in Boston canvass uh, for AOC and phone bank for AOC. Same thing for Bernie Sanders. So those people just kind of feel like, look, I put a lot of time and energy to help get those progressive candidates elected. And then they get in there. And what do they do? They go along with establishment Democrats. What happened to the hostile takeover that was supposed to happen with Justice Democrats? So then you see that. <laughs> then you see that Justice Democrats has now been co-opted. They've been taking big money, which is what they were not supposed to do. That defeats the purpose of this strategy. So. The problem now is that you have about half of the left has lost faith in this strategy because of the disappointment from the people who did win and did get in. Two, the second problem that you have, there's no leader of this movement. There's no movement for the left. The leader right. was Bernie Sanders, and he walked away from it after he lost the second time and told everybody to vote for Joe Biden. You're so right. the reason why the left is disorganized is because there's no leader. So people have split off and have gone into different directions. And then you, when you see people like Bernie Sanders, go on to Crystal Kyle and friends and say that Bernie, San that uh, Joe Biden is doing a good job. That's when you know the jig is up. Right. So you can't campaign across the entire country talking about we need a revolution, we're going to do a mass movement. And I was at Bernie's rally here in Boston. I remember everything that he said. Mm -hmm. You can't get people riled up and energized like that and then turn your back on them and walk away and expect them to come back and support you again. That is that's why the progressives who ran this year, that's why most of them have already lost their primaries because of the disappointments from the people who came in before them. So that's that's the other problem. The other problem that you have is the Democratic Party isn't helping us either. <laughs> like, no. like this is a big part of the problem. They're not helping us. They're not helping the homelessness issue. This, these are the things happening under a Democratic administration. Homeless, the homelessness population has increased tremendously. People are still being evicted, even after that eviction moratorium. We have inflation. Economically, things are not good. So no. you still have police violence, police killing still are still killing unarmed people, even though you have uh, body cams, they just turn them off. You still right. have low these uh, low income neighborhoods, especially like in the inner city, are still be underfunded. They're not being invested in. People are right. still living in the slums, and that has happened regardless if we had a Republican or we had a, a Democrat as president. Nobody oh, has fixed this issue. Yeah. I was just going to say, though, like you brought up before, though, I think it's very important that we articulate this moment and we've got to play chess, but we've got to know who's an ally and we've got to build strength. We've, we've got to think like a movement 
And, you know, a pop, the power of populism is a very powerful thing if we acknowledge it. But I'll guarantee you, you know, I, everything you laid out was just really um, succinctly put. But I would just like throw this as a little icing on all the cake you baked is that that is populism is what we have. Populism is what is cool. Populism is a rough thing for them to deal with. But if you don't handle it right, like naming Joe Manchin, he went up 16 percentage points at a time. Every progressive that you are speaking to right now knows in their heart, like, oh, my God, we could have went to West Virginia and curb stomped that moron with his own politics. But, you know, we never got a chance to implement that version of, of retributive uh, type of politics that says, Joe Manchin, don't you ever talk, you know, that kind of bullshit. We know what your we know your record. We never got to settle that score. He rose by 16 percentage point being flat out wrong in the face of progressive politics. And, and progressive politics is in the face of all the populism that it has support for. And if you don't deliver when you have, you know, seven, what, 70% of the country wants Medicare for all? Come on, man. You're going to start looking like a clown. Um, well, and that's happening. Like for progressives, if we don't figure out how to, yeah, we got a broken down car, but you know what? Progressives have a different car. How do you get people in that car, put it in drive and move towards policy? Because if we well, can't figure out how it's be done, a third party ain't going to do it. If we can't do it in a organic movement of where people, you know, where they're at. What do you think well, about that? Well, I would say we didn't miss the mark on Joe Manchin. We had someone very powerful, I think going against, yeah, well, not I, powerful uh, economically, but a powerful voice going against Joe Manchin. And that was Paula Jean Swearingen. But Justice Democrats right. decided to put all the focus and attention on AOC. If they would have put more that's focus and attention on Paula Jean Swearingen, she possibly could have had a better chance of beating him. That's the problem. They had already chosen yeah. who was going to be the celebrity of the Justice Democrats, and they chose AOC because they knew that she was in a district that was easier to win. So I think what people I mean, have to like, understand is that when you talk about someone like Joe Manchin, and I've interviewed Paula Jean Swearingen, so I asked her about yeah. this as well. Why do people keep voting for him? And she will tell you that Joe Manchin already has it on lock. The yeah, race is already handed to Joe Manchin. Fabby, he didn't like the newspaper articles. He panicked like a bitch when those things came out um, and he was like throwing sorts of like, why would you do that to me? Why would you impugn my reputation? You know, he can, he didn't even like having to handle a couple of people in like inner tubes floating behind his floating mansion, uh, in the Potomac, his yacht that he lives on. And every dirty deal has been done on that yacht, but he didn't like that type of coverage. I'm just saying yeah, that there's a yeah, well he's 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 not going to to like it. He's not going to like the coverage, but what you have to understand is no, no no no. What what you have to understand is that Joe Manchin controls the state. He has all the money. He has the coal money. You think the coal miners ain't going to vote for him knowing that he's got the coal money? 
He controls so much stuff. Yeah, and the people yeah, yeah. know that. Yeah, no, and, and, and I, I, I concede to that point. Uh, but power knows power. But the thing is, is through populism, it is it is really a direct uh, directly against that type of his type of ownership, his type of leadership, the ownership. You know, Congress only has what, Savvy, you tell me, like 19 percent approval, 14. You know, this isn't a lock. And populism has a force, but we haven't figured out how to get it in drive. We've spent 33 trillion bucks in this country and nobody has Medicare for all. We have four cell phone companies, four, five insurance, health insurance companies. We've got four big banks. We can't even articulate like fake capitalism when it's in our face. And, well, and, I'm, and I don't think like, a, I, you know, do I want like a, a Jesse Ventura coming up and chan challenging power? Hell yeah. Show me that because it's going to change the conversation. Um, if Joe Biden isn't challenged in that same way, it's like not challenging Joe Manchin. If, if we don't have establishment getting called up, Marianne Williamson, like I can pick a million, you know, a lot of problems that I have with this, that I can have narcissistic differences. But if we change the narrative and we tilt the strategy towards populism and we the people, you know, we the people are the government. Let's not forget that, folks. It's just been taken over by lobbyists and a for-profit Kennedy School of Government uh, promoting style of government that is like spent eight out of 10 days dialing for dollars. We all know the trash, but give people hope. You have justification through powers of numbers. We progressives are failing at really putting that thing in drive. And Joe Manchin is a small scale of that failure. And I well, mean, not, not well, to with I think I but, think you're under I think you're underestimating just how powerful Joe Manchin is. I think that's important to note. You have to understand he is one of the wealthiest senators. Most of the time, the candidate that has the most money is the one that wins. It is going to be very difficult to stop him. There's also a lot of rigging in politics in West Virginia. Paula Jean Swearingen has talked about this as well. Until you fix the corrupt election system that we have in this country, which has not been fixed. Yeah. This is always going to be an issue until you count every ballot that comes through. This is going to be an issue. We do not have election integrity in this country, so they can always change the rules and rig it to make sure that the corporate candidate wins. This is exactly what they did to Bernie Sanders. This is exactly yes. what they'll do. They'll just come in and just change the rules anytime that they want. I think the problem is I think you're looking for electoral politics to fix the problems for you and what what I'm here to say and what those of us at RBN to say is electoral politics can be a part of the equation, but it is not the solution. You cannot rely on no, politicians to come in and that's save you. At the end of the day, they are going to look out for the best interests of their party and they're going to look out for the interests of the donors of the party. This is why we don't have Medicare for all. And Rokana admitted to this himself when he came onto my show. We are never going to get Medicare for all if we do not have a president that wants to give us Medicare for all. Joe Biden does not want to give us Medicare for all. And even then, even if Bernie Sanders would have gotten in, watching the way that Bernie Sanders has caved over the past year to Joe Biden, to corporate uh, Democrats. Joe, I, I, I strongly believe that Bernie Sanders would have caved as well. 
Yes. I, I'm not going to sit here and deny that because I've seen too much failure on the progressive side. But is that a measure of them not believing that we there's enough of us who feel like you laid it out very eloquently? Um, I don't I don't doubt anything that you said, and I'm not under any mysticism that would sway me away from, you know, that reality. Again, I'm 56. I've been living with horrifying Democratic politics for a long time. Um, Paul, Paul Wellstone is long gone. Dennis Kucinich has been his district was redrawn years ago. That's the thing that's on the menu. And what I'm saying is I agree with you. It's a strategy session and it's a chess session. But don't walk away from, I'm not leaning blindly, like, where's my blindfolds? Let me wander around. I'm not saying that federally and electorally, not at all. But I'm saying don't lose sight of it because don't turn into a, a national state of Wisconsin of where you have uh, uh, 50, 50 to 60 percent of the vote turning out, but you have such gerrymandered districts through rude politics, rude Republican-led politics. That you, you can't even factor into the game. You've got to go through feudalism. And they're a federal appointed feudalism. And that's what I don't want to lose sight of. And that's why I'm saying we need to play chess as progressives. Hold together our coalitions. We know what Bernie said. We know what he laid down on paper. But we've got to keep the focus and lay down a contract with progressives. You put the Bernie platform, you match it with Harvey K, Alan Minsky, and their brand new, you know, modernized uh, FDR's 21st century economic bill of rights. It gives, it, it's, it's a coalescing of the vi vision. If I guarantee you, I have, I don't have, I, if we don't gather and circle the wagons and really get a good idea of what we're going to stand for, who we're going to be, what our offensive playbook looks like as we advance. It can't be just, you know, grievance culture like Republicans, you know, and, and like hyper, like, oh, man, I caught a bad recipe out of this camp, that camp. They're a progressive. Now they're a fake progressive. Take the good, but move on. Acknowledge the win through the populism. If we get caught down in the narcissism of small things, and like small details that we didn't catch here, there. What's the fat of it? What's the ingredients of success? And that's all I'm worried about. And and by the way, the um, uh, you look at the Heritage Foundation has been putting on since 2014. There is such Republican power among statehood to electoral victories at a Republican. They keep staging constitutional conventions. Meaning they are preparing to rewrite the Constitution the way we've sleptwalked into a six to three federal ma majority on the Supreme Court. You look at all the things that are handed down and where you ain't got shit to talk about when they make that ruling until you organize. And, and again, I, I worry about the, the incrementalism that we will be forced upon in the same way that we blew two Supreme Court seats, in the same way that we're not recognizing Republican power and them rewriting from a Republican standpoint, them rewriting the fucking Constitution. That's what worries me. And I think what we we I, I want to correct something here. 
We Go didn't blow any Supreme Court seats. We have no control over that. The Supreme Court seats went the way that they went because Trump won. You have to remember Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. And I do not like Hillary yeah, Clinton, but, but this is the point that I'm trying to make very clear. Until, until, you, until you fix the election system in this country, until you get rid of gerrymandering, until you get rid of them not counting all the ballots, until you get rid of the electoral college, this is always going to be an issue. Until you get big money out of politics, this is going to be a problem. They are removing candidates off of ballots. We don't have a democracy. We don't have election integrity. And that's why you, and you have to understand the left in this country is very small. We are not large. We are a small group of people uh, in the United States that I think, I think we thought we were bigger than we were. Yeah. Populism is huge, though, Sabs, and that's the force that we have. It's the same thing that, you know, when Hitler was coming to rise, uh, he had massive support. Um, he w- he didn't win an election. He was handed that, but he had popular support at a, uh, you know, they, they had in 1938 in New York City, they had 20,000 Nazi supporting uh, people go and fill Madison Square Garden. We have populism in the way that we do support what is right, what is wholesome, what is strong for your community. But don't lose sight of that. I'm not losing sight of what you're talking about. Um, but I'm saying that you can't, you know, if everything is rotten, where do you start? Don't forget where your strength is. Like through the platform of Bernie. Yeah, Bernie said things. Nobody showed up for Nina Turner, but we got a dark money problem. What are you going to do from that standpoint? Well, we've got people power. You know, we, we, but listen, man, we have to remember a lot of things. Will we remember in the, in the moment of crisis when, you know, there's a lot of fires out there, but we've got, we've got the, the, um, we've got the system of right through everybody does not want to, you know, it's, it's almost like the Jesus platform. We, we want to alleviate suffering. And that's a great thing because we are in a weird time right now. It is max capitalism it's not even really capitalism i mean i don't know how you have you know we talked about that you know five insurance companies four big banks that's not capitalism that is end stage capitalism and the vision the common vision is something that savvy like you got a big voice you got big feet you're moving into new new spaces like man just keep keep us together in our common vision of the progressive, something to fight for, not like always running around panicking, putting out fires and like, you know, because I understand everything that, that out that's a problem is a real thing. I don't die. That, that, that uh, fighting for bit is going to have to come on the outside. That is not going to come from within D.C. Sure. You have to bring the pressure on the outside. This is how the civil rights movement was won. This is how the women's movement was run. It was not won through electoral politics. I think if you want to get wins through electoral politics, you need to focus on the local level and not on national politics. Your best chance of getting what you want accomplished electorally is on the local level level. It is through your state. It's through your city. It's through your county. It's through your district. Most of the people I talk to don't even know who their city councilors are. This is how you're going to get those wins. 
Bernie Sanders had the fight for 15 uh, part of his campaign. He had a uh, guaranteed paid family leave part of his campaign. We have already passed and implemented those policies here in Massachusetts years ago. This is what I'm saying. You need to focus on the local level if you want to get wins through electoral politics, not so much on the national level. We, we have no control, no control over the national politics in this country. A lot of us don't even get to see our congressmen and women. We don't even get to see our senators. They are locked away. So I think that if you want to get those gains, you need to focus on the local level. When it comes to the Democrats and the Republican Party, yes, one is far right and one is center right, per se, at best. At the end of the day, they are going to support corporate interests. They are not going to support the interests of the people unless there is pressure on the outside. So if you want that to happen, we need to organize on the outside and we need to put pressure on them in D.C. That is the only way that's going to happen. Or... If you want to do it electorally, you vote third party, you vote independent, and you wake them up. You do what Ross Perot did, and you get 20% of the vote. That's what you do. But if you keep voting for them, they're never going to give you anything. No, 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 no. But also being engaged and having ideas and platforms that you like. It's not me. It's we. We we all want Medicare for all. We all want uh, tuition free college. We all want this is our list of demands. I'm just belonging. I belong to this. I belong to this common vision. That's all I'm saying. And then you take that at the local level. Let me tell you something. And I'll jump off here. We And I appreciate Thank you for all the time you've given me, uh, Sabbies. I really appreciate it. And uh, but. Larry Korb, who is the executive director of Our Revolution, um, you know, I was talking to him and he said, Half, I live in Arizona and I can tell you about weird politics. I've been here for 20 plus years and engaged in like it was a hardcore weirdo right wing state like they were doing flat earth before flat earth was even fashionably cool in some conservative circles. They were doing everything that you've ever, immigration, MS-13, panic fests, you name it, they were doing it, okay? But half of Arizona's Democratic delegation is a member of our revolution. Now, you can call and say, ah, milquetoast organization, this, that, the other thing. It's the best thing you've got, but don't, don't lose sight of it. It may not be perfect, but use it as a base because I've been around the state, man, I've been suffering and and I work locally. I'm working on elections right now as we speak. Um, And yeah, it's, it's, it's thin pickings when you come from like, you don't have a whole lot of people to pick for. Right. But you've got to understand that the, the, uh, the battle on the ground is knocking out establishment, conversation and and talk and leadership but that our revolution has and if we always remind them the um the pledge all i want is a pledge a common list of beliefs and like candidate a b d c did you sign the democratic pledge to be like are you for medicare for all cool are you for this that the other thing cool we're good now we can talk and, you know, through social media, you can mock behavior that they have years gone by. 
So I'm just saying, let's be the smartest that we can in terms of if it's a non-political denomination, we're, we're going to be objectionists, uh, uh, objectional, like outcomes, right? It's, it's almost going to be like an Ayn Rand. What's the best deal you can get for yourself? Well, me as a populist, popular positions, right? It's just, it's going to be a long haul. It's been an ugly long haul for 20 years in Arizona. Um, but people are, are, they are turning their back on that weirdo flat earth shit. And they're turning their back on the nonsense. But we've, 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 we have come a long ways. And, uh, but we got to know who helps us, who hurts us, but we have to have a coalescing vision. That's my point of what I wanted to get across. Harvey K., Alan Minsky, Bernie's platform. That's, that's the gold. Hold on to that vision. Mm-hmm. I would argue that Bernie's platform is, is watered down if you compare it to what the Green Party had. Even the oh. Green New Deal that was proposed by AOC and Ed Markey, that came from the Green Party. They took it and they watered it down from what it originally was. The Green Party platform also had reparations on their platform. Bernie Sanders refused to put it on. He didn't believe in it. So the more radical, the more radical uh, platform is actually the one presented by the Green Party, not the one presented by the progressives. The progressives are implementing a platform that they think is going to be malleable to the Democratic Party. And even the Democratic Party is still not ready to push forth these policies. They can't even increase the minimum wage. You had eight Democratic senators vote against it. So this is the problem. This is what I'm telling you. The Democratic Party is is controlled. The Democratic Party is controlled. Yeah, but it is not that. Tabby, how do you respond to power? Because you know what you're up against. Like, like you've got Nancy Pelosi. They, they freaked out Ilhan Omar. They freaked out the whole squad. They freaked out anybody's progressive. Nobody came to Nina Turner and said, you know, you got a, a call 12 hours before the Tuesday vote. Um, and by the way, we only vote on Tuesday. We, we, we've got all these things. Like, we are not making any advancements, Sabby. We can have all this awareness and be, you know, know this, know that, know that. We all know it. How are uh, how are we going to put this fucking thing in drive, man, and get some traction? Because we've got populism behind us. That's, we have, that's we have, we have, electorally, we have been making grounds locally. That That's the thing I'm, tr- I'm trying to tell you. You're still looking at it as a national it's not, thing. It's not lost on me. It's not lost on me at all. Yeah, but we have made gains and we have gained grounds locally when it comes to electoral politics. Nationally, yeah. no, because D.C. is controlled by big money. They're controlled by corporate interests. That's the problem. So until you get the money out, this is always going to be a problem. That's what I'm trying to tell you. The no, Democratic you're, Party. You're, but you're, you're telling me things I already know, and I agree with you. So you're not right. Telling, but the Democratic Party not, is not going to allow the progressives use, in that party Use to them. take over, they're Use not going to allow. They're not going to allow progressives in the party to take over the party and make it what they want it to be. The thing have- that is going to happen is that the progressives are going to change, which is what they have done, and they're going to go along with the corporate Democrats so that they can keep their seat and they can have a career in politics. It is not happening the other way around. That's okay. why these progressives are losing. If, if you don't under, if 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 you don't accept 
what you, the gains that you just got done talking about, but you don't use them in a, in a Machiavellian power move and you're not advancing. Yeah, they support us. And you're not willing to step up and boss the situation, even from a democratic standpoint and, and really do a fucking throwdown and be real where Bernie couldn't be real. Like nobody's stepping up and doing that, you know, and that's what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. There were people that stepped up and did that and they were pushed Ooh. out. Who, who, who? Cynthia, Cynthia McKinney stepped up and yeah, did that and she was pushed okay. out. Yeah, so, I mean, so do you get, so you get what I'm saying? So you admit my point. Do, this it, is what it, I'm trying to get across to you. Anybody, you're pointing out anybody, anyone out. who tries to stay there and actually yeah. push against them and fight for the people, the democratic party is going to push them out. They'll put somebody up to primary challenge that. and go against them. Okay. So you, you understand this I'm strategy is not going to work. It. Unless you get big money out of politics. Yeah, okay. Well, where everybody wants it, but where is the coalescing vision and the force where it puts that fucking car in drive and says, yeah, you know, Savvy just got done breaking it all down perfectly. Where is the driving mechanism and the collective vision? I feel that we are so scattershot in doing this indictment and not willing to coalesce the power, even if it's a shitty ass fucking Democrat. Snatch them. Well, no, no, no. When you ask where is the, when you ask where is the driving force to get this going, you need to ask that question. You need to ask that question to Kyle Kalinske and Jink Uger because they're the ones who started this program. This was their project. They were the ones who started this. That's who you need to ask that question. No, I don't. Actually, it's it's a continuation. It's an evolution. There is no continuation. There's no leader. Sabby, Sabby, listen. That first thing that failed, yeah, it wasn't the right thing because there are chinks in the armor. Like if if we've had if you if you say that you hold that up as the example, ask them. But we still have a for-profit business model in politics. For-profit politicians would never sign off on these types of behavior. And until we force the populism and all the advantages that we have, you know, we are not we are sophisticated in ways that we feel about politics, but we are not good at putting this thing in drive and making shit happen. When Republicans accuse us, say, yeah, you know what? You guys are all dreamers. You've never signed the front of a paycheck before. There's a little truth to that because my crowd sucks at really getting it uh, and, and putting it down and, and representing super majorities of people that believe in what you're saying, Sabs. They believe you, but how do you enact it? And we have never figured that out. And I'm just being uh, real. Well, no, well, it, no, it, people did figure it out and it, people figured it out and it failed. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You need I, to talk to the people. You need to talk to the people who started this project. I'm not yeah. one of those people. Yeah. And to say that people haven't been doing anything or what they haven't been doing, I disagree with that. Talk to all You're the indicting. people who quit. Talk to all the people who quit their jobs to canvass across this country for Bernie Sanders. Talk to the people who phone bank for AOC. It's Talk to the people who walked around on this neighborhood, these neighborhoods, knocking on people's doors to get those candidates selected. So it was You're the right. people on the ground who worked their asses off that yeah. are the reason why those progressives are there to begin with. So don't blame the voters. No, I'm not. Blame the people fact, who hey, sat at home. Blame the people who sat at home behind a TV screen and didn't knock on one damn door. Blame Sabs. those people. Okay, Sabs, listen, I voted on, I, I, I knocked on 6,000 doors and, you know, for Red for Ed here in Arizona. I knocked on 6,000 doors 
to get to to get like Democrats elected in this state to get weirdo Republicans out. It is truly incrementalism. Cynthia McKinney candidates never came to Arizona to run uh, on these platforms. And and it's it's we're we're not where you she got evicted immediately because power really runs that way. And Kirsten Cinema, like I remember protesting with her again, you know, protesting Iraq invasion. Um, and you know, and she sold out too. So what that tell you? Absolutely. But I mean, like she went where the money's at and that's where the money's at today. Even with all this realization, I don't doubt one thing you said. I do not. And I mean, I'm with you. And, and, you know, if you think I'm like trying to be a contrarian, I'm really not. I'm just trying to coalesce a vision to where we grab up because it's, it's about a math problem and it's about grabbing all the people that are with you and support you and get this movement moving forward and not worrying about the indictment of somebody who wasn't pure, the, the not true Scotsman, like, oh my God, you weren't pure. Let's not worry about that, but let's get the coal, the coalesced vision of what we fight for, what we stand for. And that's what I'm saying. Commonality of Bernie Sanders' platform, or like you said, rightfully so, the Green Party platform. <clears throat> I'm all about that. I voted for Ralph Nader in 2000. So I understand the struggle and I understand the, uh, you know, being criticized for like, thanks for Bush. I heard all that. I voted for Jill Stein in 2016. I heard all that. But we're not getting anywhere if we don't acknowledge the power that we've built and the the force of populism and the math that's behind it. We have a problem and it is literally enacting uh, a positive, like, let's put this fucking thing in gear and move places. It's movement politics. We have the power of populism behind each and every one of us. And everybody who, who chimes into this format believes that wholeheartedly, but they will have serious thoughts on this, that, and the other thing. And I love listening to the uh, deep dive and the intricacies. I, I'm into that. I'm a political geek, but let's not forget the basic shit either. That's going to propel us and give us a reason. It's the discipline. When the motivation doesn't carry us through the discipline of being a strong fucking progressive and knowing what the fuck you stand up for and what the fuck you fight for, that's what's important. When the motivation isn't there, the discipline of being that person, that's who I'm speaking to. Harvey K., Alan Minsky, that's the cool shit. That's what you can get around when you forgot about everything and we're going down rabbit holes of Ukraine funding and we're going through down rabbit holes of fucking Hunter Biden's computer um <clears throat> remember what what where we need to go that's that's my point but i appreciate you and uh thanks for the call-in format because without you signing on and and letting us get on there like you're one of my favorite people and it, it was really an honor being able to sit down and chat with you and uh you know this this just want to i just want to say thanks all right, Joe. Thanks so much for calling in. Okay, we're moving to, uh, I believe this is pronounced Numa. Numa, you are on the mic. You just have to unmute. Just have to hit the unmute button. There you go. There we go. It did it. This, it did it to me again. It closed the app. I just had to reopen. Can you hear me? 
I can hear you. Awesome. Sabby, thank you so much. I just want to say greetings from the opposite end of Massachusetts. It's cool to talk to you. Um, I'm going to make mine quick. I took a couple of notes to keep my uh, comments and questions a little bit concise, so I'm going to try to be super quick. Um, yeah, so I was just going to keep it on topic. You know, um, I was just thinking first off to answer your question in the in the description, you know, like, is there a class divide around defunding the police? I mean, I think 100% yes. Um, and I think it's kind of cool, good timing that you did this call in because um, earlier today I was listening to uh, Danny Haifong's interview with Ben Norton on uh, on the left lens. And some of what they were talking about, I think, kind of plays into some of what you're talking about here with Chenk. Um, but yeah, first I was just going to say, like, uh, it's so funny how everyone seems to have their own uh, like moment at which they kind of realized TYT was like not really that legit. Um, I feel like for me, it was somewhere around like December, 2019, you know, there was the, uh, there was like a Jimmy Dore episode where he had Chenk on. And I remember Chenk was like running for office, right? Like I forget which office, but wasn't Chenk running for office? He, yes, he ran for Congress, right? Yeah, that's right. I forget which, it was like a district or I forget what it was, but I remember at the time that was, that was like where I kind of fully realized and I didn't really watch much TYT. So for me, this might've been like, I might've been late to the party. Um, but you know, Chenk was saying something about how he'd love to live in like a big mansion. He'd love to live in a big house. Like, you know, he just came off as like a full blown capitalist. And I remember, I remember during that interview, he was like talking about being pro union. But then after that, after his race ended, um, he kind of turned around and just became like completely anti-union. So just something about like pretty much everything about Chenk just kind of eventually comes to light. But no, what I was going to say is interesting about like, you know, with defunding the police and especially where I am on the other end of Massachusetts, it's like pretty white out here. And it's hard to talk to people about that. Be Partially because of that language, you know, people get really easily turned off by defund the police. Um, I do find it's easier to talk to people out here if I were if I frame it in the terms of like demil excuse me like demilitarize the police because a lot of people can easily get behind the idea of like you know why do the police need like you know tanks and like you know RPG like you know rocket launchers and like you know Captain America shields and stuff like that you know um, but one of the things that I thought was interesting and it's you know you guys talk about this all the time with like RBN and and uh you know like black agenda report from what i've been seeing but it's just like it was so interesting to hear danny and, and ben norton talk today about uh like the ideas of decolonization in this country the fact that it's never happened you know like between between land back for uh, native peoples and like reparations um you know for african americans like it's just uh it's the idea of lifting people out of poverty that we haven't done so it's like you know the, the idea that like theoretically the police shouldn't really be needed and neither should prisons you know but it's like with as many people in poverty as we have um it just seems like you know that seems to be people's go-to is they just want more police and more police and it's like well if we lifted people out of poverty you know maybe we wouldn't need as many police or like any any at all um yeah i think a so, lot of people have have an illusion that the police actually keep everyone safe and they don't yeah, that's that. And that's what I've been struggling with where I'm at trying to talk to people, because I think, you know, like you said, I mean, we, you know, there's a lot of white people where I am, so they don't really see they don't they don't see it. They don't really understand that police aren't really here to protect us. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Are you but anyway? No, I was just are you just real quick. Um, Are you further? Are you in Western Mass? Are you further west of Boston? 
Uh, I'm like all the way west, pretty much up against New York State and Vermont. I'm like tucked up in that corner. Yeah, so for people that, that may not be aware, in Massachusetts, once you get away from the Boston area, the further and further you go away from Boston, you don't see as much diversity. So most most people, especially like most Black people, we are in the Boston area. And once you start to get further away from that, you see less and less of us. Oh, sorry, go exactly. ahead. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's 100%, exactly. Um, but yeah, I guess I was just going to ask you about that. Like, I mean, I know that you have like the 10, like the 10 point, uh, sorry, like the thing that Nick and Zoya Shore did, you know, like the 10, uh, sorry, I'm just blanking right ten now. Demands. Like the, the 10 things to how to defund the police. Yeah, thank you. The 10 demands. No, I was just thinking like, I mean, that's definitely a helpful tool in talking to people, but I was just wondering like what you, uh, find, you know, as like a really easy kind of successful talking point when uh you know when talking to people just in in public about uh defunding the police i find it helpful to show people data about how many or the percentage of police that actually solve crime you know most people don't know that and they're usually pretty shocked when i tell them about that uh also the fact that police don't really prevent crime and I think more people are starting to see that now with the Uvalde situation in Texas, right? Mm. So there's that. You start off with that. But definitely you want to present some type of data so that people can see the police aren't really doing what you think they're doing. Um, and then you have to explain to them what you would do with the money that you're removing from the police departments, how you would invest it in those communities. And people will come back and they'll say, well, what about uh, if, who's going to pull over people? Police don't need to do traffic stops. You can have someone else do that. Uh, the other thing is uh, mental health. Police don't know how to handle mental health situations. These have gone terribly wrong. So you actually need to have uh, a mental health uh, professional deal with those situations because they know how to handle it. Um, so you have to give people examples and you have to give them data and explain to them why we should defund the police. Um, because really it's, it's true. We've been taught this since we were little, right? That like the police are there to protect you. They're there to stop crime. And only 0.02% of police actually stop crime. So I think when people okay. hear those numbers, then they realize like, well, wait a minute, then what are they doing? Uh, you know, <laughs> talk to people who have been police officers and you'll find out most of the time they're not in their car chasing down criminals. That's a good point. That actually kind yeah. of makes me think something I've I've discussed before, too, even like you said, traffic stops, even when it comes to uh, like domestic abuse calls. I mean, I, I almost wonder if that wouldn't be suited for like social workers or something instead of police. Yes, uh, they don't know how to handle those situations that well either. There's been some times where people people have said that they've called the police before about a domestic abuse. Uh, and depending on who the abuser was depends on how that situation would go. If it's someone that's well-known, someone that has a lot of power, is a public figure, someone that's a celebrity, someone who's also a cop, they're less likely to arrest them. So then what happens to the victim? Now they're stuck in that house with that same person that they just called the police on. Yeah, a perfect example of that is uh, someone like O.J. Simpson. Nicole Brown reported to the police how many times? And they took pictures of her. Did that stop O.J. Simpson from beating Nicole? No. 
Yeah, if anything, that's a good way to escalate the situation, I guess. Yep. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I'll I'll keep my call short, so I'll just kind of wrap it up there. But uh, no, I just want to thank you, Sabby, and uh, you know, just thanks to what you do, thanks to RBN, and and honestly, I mean, I I feel like uh, even though you know, even though the hill is like high, and it, it seems like there's, it seems like we're pushing a rock up a hill. I mean, I feel like we are starting to get some kind of left movement, you know, like between you, RBN, trying to get some like on the ground organization. And yeah, it really does come to like small communities. And I mean, I, I, I even keep looking at people like Shama Sawant. I mean, even though you get people like, uh, like you mentioned, Kinney, you get like Dennis Kucinich, these people get in, they get pushed out. But I mean, people like Shama Sawant are so strong and so fierce and just stay in there anyway. And I, I guess we just need more of that. And I think it was wise of people you know her and people like her just to like don't even bother running as like a democrat just just go go hard left and go socialist you know i agree and shama sawant has accomplished a lot on the local level you know she she was with them for the fight for 15 um and i think that's the thing would she have been able to accomplish that in congress probably not because like i said you had like eight senators vote against increasing the minimum wage. That's the thing. Whereas like on the local level, as a city councilor, she's been able to accomplish a lot through uh, her group, uh, Socialist Alternative. And I think Socialist Alternative, they kind of have the right idea. They're not looking for someone who wants to be a politician. They are doing the grassroots work on the ground, the activism, uh, mutual aid, and they are getting a candidate from that movement. So Shama Sawan admitted, you know, on my show, she didn't want to run for office. They selected her. And look at how good, great she's been. You know? Yeah. And I keep following her on Twitter. I mean, everything she's doing for like, you know, the, like the teachers unions, you know, uh, preschool, trying to get them, uh, you know, better, better, like pay, better working conditions, you know, and she's doing it, you know? Yep. She sure is. But anyway, you know, thank you so much. I'll give your next callers a chance and uh, have a great night, Sabby. Thanks so much, you too. All right, I'm going to bring in Schnarf. I'm going to be wrapping up in 15 minutes, you guys. Hell yeah, I need an Advil after some of your callers. Um, so, so Sabby, the, the, the reason why I was actually calling is like a couple of us were having a discussion about a city in Connecticut by the name of Bridgeport. Right. So Bridgeport, if you're not familiar with it, is for the most part something that resembles an open air prison. The vast majority of the companies have left. The, the place is desolate. Right. Yeah, I've been there. But what's interesting about Bridgeport is I was looking into it and and some of the most high paid officials in the city are police officers, detectives, and they're making around two hundred eighty thousand dollars a year. So put this into perspective, the average person in Bridgeport is making about 22000 and the median household income is like 30-something, and it, it's just a fucked-up place. But how is it that, that, that like they can get away with actually having those kind of salaries? What I'm interested in is also to see from your perspective if defund the police actually affects their salaries, because I think that's something that we don't talk enough about, because an average police salary in the United States is about... 70 G's, right? We don't really talk about the salaries that these people make. We don't talk about the fact that they have a plethora of overtime and a whole shitload of different ways that they can make money, you know, both on the books and off the books, right? 
And I think one of the things that we have to do in order to kind of keep the police at bay is to is to reduce the amount of intake of money that these people have, or at least, you know, make it so that, that there is an initiative where they don't have this much disposable income to throw at their police unions, to throw at all the people that actually motivate the policies that are made, right? That's point one. The second thing I wanted to say is while we were talking about Bridgeport for for uh, for a while now, I discovered that they actually had a socialist mayor that was elected 13 times between 1930, I think 1933, all the way up to 1957. 13 times, right? Yep. There, there's been a legacy of socialism in the United States. We don't really talk about it, right? Like, I mean, not for nothing. Like, he changed the the entire dynamics of the city, and then once he was left, that's usually that that's usually when you know things kind of changed and went in the direction of of uh, of deindustrialization. But had these people actually had a lasting effect, had uh, a, a party that people could coalesce around. I think it would have been different. So maybe instead of like the doctrine that a lot of people are talking about, which most of the time people are pulling shit out of their ass, like most of the so-called Marxists don't know shit. Like they they throw around dialectical materialism, like like it was like it was some kind of like uh, salad dressing on salad. They don't even know what the hell they're saying, but they're talking nonstop. I think instead of talking, maybe it would make sense to coalesce around what was done in the past and to and to bring back some of the strategies that were worked before. I mean, the guy got elected 13 times, right? Exactly. And he's not the only one. So I'll, I'll answer your questions. Uh, locally, socialists have won. That's another example. Local politics, they have won. There was actually a guy I interviewed last year, Lee Carter. I'm not sure if everyone um, is familiar with him, but Lee Carter actually won in the House of Virginia. Uh, he is a socialist. And he he won because he spoke to the needs of the people. And he is actually the reason why Virginia was able to, um, I think they decriminalized marijuana. I forget if they decriminalized it or legalized it. But he is actually the reason why that happened because, oh, hold on one second. There's a car. Okay, I'm back. He's the reason why that happened because it was his bill. He was the one who wrote it. Now, there were things that were taken out of that bill. One of the things that was removed that went along with it was to release all the people who were in prison in Virginia for marijuana. Uh, they removed that portion out of that bill. But if you live in Virginia or you know people that do, you can thank Lee Carter for that because he's the reason why that happened. So on the local level, yes, they have they have won. They have done well. Look at Shama Sawant, same thing. Um, the other thing in reference to uh, salaries, um, yeah, I've I've been to Bridgeport. That doesn't surprise me by what you said about their salaries. A couple of years ago here in Massachusetts, there was actually um, – a story that broke about the state troopers here in Massachusetts, and it was revealed that they were actually paying themselves overtime for hours not worked. They were making six figures, like what Schnarf just told you. And so you're looking around and you're like, why the hell are they paying police like six figures? And it's not just the state troopers. So the thing is, is this like, yes, there are police that are making that kind of money. And that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you can defund them. Um, not only that, um, the fact that 
they were cheating overtime. That's how we found out their salaries, by the way, because that news story broke that they got caught giving themselves overtime hours for hours that they did not work. And this was way, this was years before defund the police. They were already making that money. And so they just got greedy. And now here's the question, who's policing the police? Nobody. That's why they were able to do it, get away with it. But what's even more interesting is the police in Bridgeport offer pretty much no no real viable service. I don't know what the fuck they do. You could you could walk outside in, in most of Bridgeport, let off a whole clip in the air, and I'm telling you, they won't show up. Mm-hmm. Bridgeport is Bridgeport is a is a is a, is just a disaster. But the fu- the funniest thing is is like why exactly do they have these salaries? And some of these people aren't like they're not like lieutenants or captains. They're they're like detectives, and they're making like two hundred eighty thousand a year. Exactly, but that goes back to the question: while they're watching, you know, the the, the citizens and stuff like that, who's watching them? Nobody, because because the because the, the the powers that be are are all in conjunction with each other, and they support the infrastructure that that that, that supports uh, high paying salaries for law enforcement. They hold the line. They make sure that the the open air prison stays an open air prison, and the communities around Bridgeport stay stay very affluent and well uh, and wealthy. I mean that's that's by design, right? That's right. Like the 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 new thing. The new thing is to gentrify the cities and then to take the 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 um the depressed industrialized suburbs like Bridgeport, like Waterbury, maybe maybe a little bit like even Springfield, I think. You know what I mean? And and what they'll do is they'll they'll just use that as a containment unit for for all the people that get displaced out of the cities. And and that's all it is. I don't that's know. Right. It fucking sucks. Unbelievable. That's right. I'm telling you, I'm glad you pointed that out because I don't think people know. I don't, I don't think a lot of people know about that. I really don't. I mean, le- legitimately, I think we need to have more conversations like this and we need to just say fuck TYT, fuck Jank Uger, fuck all of these people. And let's have a material conversation about salary, about wage, about about displacement, about open air prisons and, and really what how life is just so fucked up in this country. I understand that. Like the other night, um, you're, you know, Nick had some, some conversation about patriotic socialism. And, and I, I like, I wanted, I wanted to bang my head against concrete. It was that bad. I mean, we, what is that? Why are we not talking about the things that really matter? Thank you. Thanks, Narf. Well, to be fair, uh, Nick is a part of, uh, 10 demands. So he did create that with, uh, a group of other activists uh, for defunding the police and the road to abolition. Uh, typically what tends to happen on call-in, this is actually a continuation of a pre uh, a YouTube episode that we had and we take the discussion to call-in. So if Nick was talking about patriotic socialism, that's probably because he had, they had just had uh, Jackson Hinkle on and he was talking about that. So then you take the discussion to um, call-in. But Nick talks about policing a lot. Um, Ashura, I'm going to go ahead and bring you in and then I'm going to take Jay and then I got to go. So you just got to unmute Ashura. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be quick, Sabby. Um, it's, it's, uh, it was, it was a comment I forgot to tell it to you before I hung up the first time. Uh, 
what do you say to people who basically are not they do not basically uh agree with the title defund the police but they are okay but what's inside it or willing to basically learn what you mean by defund the police i'll give you two examples of people that i know that uh they're not they're not that it's just the title makes them a bit a little bit queasy, but they are for what's inside. They'll they'll be they'll be willing to basically look what's inside and agree with it. Unlike a Jank Uger, who will probably pretend that he is for defund, but he's really not for defund because he's a rich he's a rich capitalist. Um, the two people are Jimmy and uh, I think what's his name again? You had him you had him on your show. He debated Dick. Uh, what's his name again? Garland Nixon. Yeah. So basically, they're they know what defund the police is. They're both. They know what's inside. They both agree with it. I mean, they both have said that it's because they're probably old. They're older generations, so probably the title basically is a bit queasy for them. And even Jimmy, even jokes about that. That's probably the boomer in him. That basically, when he sees the title, he basically, uh, basically, he basically like, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. But he's okay if you basically read, read what's inside of it. So I wonder, maybe, uh, can you basically just not say? defund or just say something else like i heard somebody said like demilitarize the police yeah i mean people can say you know call it whatever they want but you're right you brought up something that we did talk about uh a while ago which is there does seem to be a generational divide when it comes to this specific uh issue um i don't know why that is um i don't know maybe those of us a little bit on the younger side have had different experiences per se i don't know but um there, yeah, there is, like there is that. I feel, yeah, I feel that's the that, that that's the thing. It's probably a uh, generational divide. But, but if they're willing to basically talk about it and listen and agree to it, I think it's just a title thing. But the rest of the people, they see it. It's like saying there ain't gonna be no cops, even though you have to repeat it all the time. We're not saying we don't want no more cops. Just read what, it, just listen to what we are. We gotta say. We say we can have cops. We just don't want our heads get cracked open like an egg every time. Because when they see they see a black person, cops just run at black people like they're like hunting dogs. That's right. I think you have to definitely have those conversations with them. Like, um, don't choose not to speak to them just because they disagree. Definitely have the conversation with them. Educate them. And again, data, data, data. Make sure that you have data to present to them. Like I said, 0.02% uh, percent is uh, the number of crimes that are solved by the police. So you have to give them those statistics. You have to give them the data so that they understand why you have the position that you have. Okay. All right. Thanks so much, Ashura. All right, Jay, you're going to be the last caller here because um, I got to get going. It's after midnight, but go ahead. You just have to unmute. Oh. Hey, Sebby, can Hello. you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, hi. How are you? Uh, my name is Jay. Uh, I'm Apollo on Twitter, in, in case you guys don't know. Um, oh, Apollo! Yeah, hi. How are you? Yeah, we met at camp and everything. You know, it was fun. It was nice meeting you. But um, to your original point of the of the segment, you know, I just wanted to say, as far as our uh, disapproval of TYT goes, I mean, I feel like uh, a part of the uh, the criticism comes for TYT and for a lot of their people as to what our expectations are of them, you know? Um, I just feel like we sometimes have a mismanaged expectation of them 
because uh, they're not meant to be people that are staunch leftists, you know? And so as an example, Bill Maher was never meant to be a leftist. You know, he was just meant to be a guy who can convert social conservatives to social liberals. John Stewart was never meant to be, you know, Karl Marx reborn. He was meant to be some guy who can take Democrats to... He... He was supposed to be a guy who can take Democrats further left, you know? He was never meant to be, like, Karl Marx reborn or anything like that. Um, and on that note, I think TYT was just meant to pick up the torch from where uh, John Stewart left off, you know? Like, a lot of our criticisms just come from, like, having unrealistic expectations of... of, of who we're criticizing. I just don't think that TYT was like meant to be so far left that we should have these staunch criticisms of them. You know, like TYT was very influential in my transformation to become a leftist, but I don't think they were meant to be people who can carry us all the way over to the far left. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, 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 yeah, I, I yeah. think the problem is like maybe at that time, like maybe when they first, I guess, like emerged, maybe for that time, they they were far left for that time period at that time. And I think we have to remember where they came from. We have to remember that Jink came from corporate media. We have to remember that Jink used to be a Republican. So I think we have to remember like he's not really going too far from his stomping ground, uh, so to speak. I would say the same thing about breaking points. You know, we have criticisms of the message that's coming out of breaking points, but we have to remember Crystal Ball came from corporate media. So if you if you look at the platform, so to speak, it's like if if I had just moved to America and let's say I didn't know much about American media and I saw TYT, eh, that kind of looks like a mainstream news media set to me. It it has that appearance, right? It has the appearance of that and they have the resources. So I think at the end of the day, like we, we do have to remember where they came from. And I think that might've been easy to forget during the Bernie movement because they were a big part of that. But there, you're right. There, looking back on it, there was still always that difference because you could still see the difference between watching TYT and hearing what they would say, their rhetoric on there, and then switching over and watching. This is back in the day now, so don't shoot me, guys. Uh, switching over to Secular Talk back in the day, and you would see this kind of different, it was a little bit more, Secular Talk seemed to be a little bit more further to the left than TYT was. And then you could yeah. switch to David Pakman and just be like, this guy's just straight up liberal trying to pass as a progressive. So you're right. Those differences were there. And I think maybe I didn't really notice it that much before because there was a Bernie campaign that was happening. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of it just comes down to like us not having the proper acceptation for these guys, you know, um, They they provide a service for us, and we got to be thankful for that, I guess. But you know. yeah, 
I mean, it's, it's, it's some, and you know, and to be fair, it's not just TYT, Humanist Report and uh, Rational National also have that same message. I think all of them are on that TYT network. So that's why they have the same stories. You can literally go to one channel to the other and they all have the exact same news stories that they're covering that day, whether it was trending or not. And they have the same message. That makes sense if they all on the TYT network. So they're not really that far to the left. In fact, someone had pointed out to me in reference to Rational National, they told me if you go to uh, David Dole's Patreon page, on his page, they said, it says that he is somewhat to the left. So even on his Patreon, he doesn't admit that he is a leftist per se. So that would make sense. And, And that's why I'm saying like, we went from calling people progressive and leftist to there's this new term out there now where people say left leaning, left leaning. What happened to calling people progressive and leftist? Now we're, we're using the term left leaning. You're leaning that way now. You're not there. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. I think some of the people that have been on YouTube for a long time, I think they're trying to look at ways to continue to grow and to elevate their platform. And I think if you've been on YouTube for like over 10 years and you guys have seen, you guys know they suppress independent media. You've been on there for over 10 years and your channel has stalled. I think some of those people are like, okay, we want to become mainstream, which is what Breaking Point said their goal is to be the new mainstream. Well, in order to do that, you have to have a certain set of views. You can't have anti-war voices as a part of that network. You can't have anti-imperialist voices that's a part of that network. So you, your talking points about war and imperialism are going to change than what they were before. Because let's be real, if, if you're trying to go that way and you're trying to get on cable, cable ain't going to let you on. So I think... That's what's happening. So what you what you see now is that that's why some people's talking points, I think, have changed. We're trying to create another network. We're going to bring all these different all these different voices on. Yeah, they're different voices, but none of them are anti-war. None of them are anti-imperialist. That's a problem for me. If, if you're supposed to be a leftist or a progressive and you're not anti-war or anti-imperialist, uh, nah, boo. I'll just watch MSNBC then. Because they're saying yeah. the same thing you're saying. I, I shouldn't go on to TYT or Secular Talk or Breaking Points. And if y'all got the same talking points about uh, Russia, Ukraine, about the war and about China and Taiwan as Rachel Maddow, that's a problem. Yeah, no, totally. I agree with you. It's... Yeah, it's just it's just wild, though. How like uh yeah yeah it's it's so much has changed like i said but this is this is also the problem with bernie sanders abandoning his movement if bernie sanders would still be leading his his movement a progressive movement on the outside if he would have been still being active and doing that stuff along with his senator position maybe things would have maybe the talking points would have stayed the same but when you walk, you walk away, there's no leader. I mean, people just kind of feel like, well, <laughs> if we're going to grow, we really got to k- kind of pivot towards Joe Biden's good. Or, yeah, they'll say some bad things about Joe Biden, but 
not the way they did before when he was running for office and not the way they did against Barack Obama. I remember, this is back in the day, I remember Secular Talk gave Barack Obama a D. I remember that. Would never say that about Joe Biden today. That's how I know the talking points have changed. And they used to criticize both. They used to criticize the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Now, you go on a lot of those channels, most of it is just anti-Republican. Most of it. Or Trump, 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 Trump. Trump's not even in office anymore. People still talking about Trump. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, I agree with you. That's all I got to say. Yeah, people followed the money, man. That's where the money, I mean, the money is that way. If you have more of a, a neoliberal talking point and the money is, that's why David Pakman does so well. And the money is on the right. That's where the most money's at. Yeah, I mean that's that. That's where like people always gotta like. That's where the career politicians go. People that are like in their in the money to go, you know, who want to make money for for a living, essentially. Yeah, I agree. Well, Apollo, thanks so much for calling in, and it was nice meeting you at camp. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. All right, guys, I am going to head out. It is late. Uh, I'll be live again tomorrow night and we'll do another call. So have a good night, guys. Peace out.